0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Beyond the Abstract.
1: Hey everyone, how's it going?
0: It's going well, got a new fancy microphone. So if, you know, this podcast just sounds even better than it did before, then (laughs) then that's why.
1: Exciting news, Dan is going back to lab for the first time in over a year next week.
0: I know, it's going to be so weird to interact with people and not just my computer, but I'm looking forward to it, Uh, (laughs) just to, you know, find more ways to be distracted other than Twitter and YouTube, which has been the go-to so far.
1: What are your channels? What YouTube do you watch?
0: Oh, it's such a hodgepodge. It's like some sports, cooking, Colbert clips.
1: Oh my god, straight guys are so predictable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Derek? What pops up for you?
1: You know, a little skincare, a little interior design, some cooking. (laughs) I guess gays are also predictable.
0: (laughs) So today we have a really exciting paper to talk about. It's called In Vivo CRISPR Base Editing of PCSK9 Durably Lowers Cholesterol in Primates. And it came out about a month ago in the journal Nature. And it was written by Verve Therapeutics, which is a startup that was a spinoff from some Harvard labs. But of course, to make uh, Derek happy, we only picked it because the first author is also a PI on his uh, floor at Penn. So,
1: we only like uh, Penn-Harvard collaboration. <laughs>
0: yeah, we should probably rename the title of this podcast, but for another day.
1: Kieran Musunuru is the first author of this paper, but he's really world-renowned for his work on in vivo uh, gene editing using CRISPR technology so this is using CRISPR Cas9 to actually change our genes you know within an organism he's been interviewed for a bunch of different documentaries and news articles by like the New York Times if you've seen the documentary Unnatural on Netflix he's in that too so he's really a authority figure within this field so I'm super excited to talk about this paper today and see what they're up to They talk about cholesterol and lowering cholesterol, and this is probably something that all of us um, know about already. But just to get into a little bit more detail, why, Dan, were they specifically interested in trying to lower cholesterol?
0: They were interested in understanding new ways actually to address heart attack. And um, this is a meaningful question since when you look across the globe heart attack is actually the leading cause of what's called years of life lost, which just means it's a common cause of death for relatively young people. So to understand uh, their motivation, we have to go a little bit into the connection between cholesterol and heart attack, which I think is something that most of us kind of intuitively um, know, but it'll be important just to understand why. And uh, to get there, uh, we have to go back to the beginning of med school and review a little anatomy so we all know oh god don't worry it won't be that bad <laughs> so we all know that the job of the heart is to pump blood to the rest of the body so our tissues can get all that good stuff in blood the oxygen and the nutrients and um with the heart working so hard uh day in day out to supply blood to the rest of the body, it's easy to forget that the heart has needs too. It's not neglected. So the heart, you know, just like our leg is a muscle. You know, we have muscles in our arms and legs, but the heart is just, is a um, muscle just like those. And just like our leg, it needs oxygen and nutrients too. So the question is, how does the heart get blood? It's got little blood vessels called coronary arteries. And it's easy to imagine that if something went wrong with these coronary arteries, we'd be in trouble because the heart muscle, the pump, would lose its fuel. And that's exactly what happens over time with high cholesterol. So over time, if we have high cholesterol in our blood vessels, the walls of the blood vessels can get damaged and get these nasty little cholesterol-filled nodules. And if they get really big, or fragile they can explode and actually block the coronary artery so there's no blood flow so the heart muscle can actually die and that's what's a heart attack so that's the connection between high cholesterol and why it can cause a heart attack
1: yeah this has really serious implications in fact i remember in medical school we learned that there is this one coronary artery called the left anterior descending artery, or the LAD.
0: Someone paid attention. (laughs)
1: That commonly gets blocked. It's so fatal, in fact, that people nickname it the Widowmaker.
0: So morbid. Yeah. Yeah, But it's like, if that gets blocked, then uh, you might die. So that's why it has its name.
1: But we know that there are actually drugs out there already that can treat this to lower your cholesterol to prevent these heart attacks from happening, right?
0: Yeah, so we've known that high cholesterol is associated with heart disease for a while and there are a number of drugs out there to over time keep our cholesterol low and reduce our risk of heart attacks. So a class that some people may have heard of are called statins. These are often uh, a drug that you have to take every day. They're also in recent years, other fancier approaches that are weekly or um, monthly injections. Or, or drugs, but the problem with these approaches is that what can cause a heart attack is when you have high cholesterol over, not a day, but literally years or decades. So it's a chronic process. So to prevent this, you need to take these drugs every day, every week, or every month. And that's a real pain, especially because some of these drugs have side effects. And what's tricky is that When you take these drugs, it's to prevent a future disease. It's not like you have pain from your cholesterol today, and that's why you're going to be motivated to take them. But it's understandably frustrating for some patients to have to take these drugs with side effects for literally years or decades, and it's not like obviously doing anything.
1: Yeah, I don't know if any of you have ever tried taking something every single day, like a daily multivitamin or oral contraceptives or even something like a baby aspirin, which some people take for heart disease, but it's actually very, very, very easy to forget, right? And like Dan said, these are only really effective if you take them consistently and take them every single day. So this is actually a real life challenge for for a lot of these patients. And even for something like baby aspirin that i mentioned which is for preventing heart disease that has serious effects too we know that aspirin is a type of blood thinner it prevents clots from happening so if you fall you're more prone to bleeding because of taking this drug so there are real effects
0: that's for sure that's a great point all drugs have a side effect and if we're asking someone to take a drug for decades and there's no clear pain that the drug is treating. I mean, it's not only that it's easy to forget, but you might just want to stop, totally understandable, because it doesn't seem to be helping and and it's causing pain.
1: So I think one of the really cool things about this technology that these researchers developed is they get around this issue of having to take a drug every single day.
0: Yeah, so that's the motivation for the approach that they took by using gene editing. And gene editing has the promise of a one and done treatment. So I imagine many of our listeners have heard of CRISPR, which is uh, a gene editing system. And with that, you can edit a gene or genes and uh, potentially change how our body works to handle cholesterol forever. And we won't spend a ton of time on how CRISPR works today other than um, it can be used to edit genes but if anyone's interested you can go to one of our previous episodes called all about that base from last year to learn more about CRISPR. How do you like that plug Derek?
1: (laughs) He's committed he's got the microphone He's, he's dropping episode titles but like Dan said the really cool thing about CRISPR technology is its durability when we change a gene using CRISPR, that's forever, you know, that's permanent. And this is in contrast from other types of gene therapy where they might insert an artificial gene into the cells, but that gene won't necessarily last forever. Um, In the case of CRISPR, this is forever. Sort of like our love for this podcast.
0: Well said, Derek.
1: (laughs) So based on the title of this paper, it seems they want to edit a gene called PCSK9. What is this gene and what does it do exactly?
0: They were trying to go after a gene called PCSK9. And to understand why, we have to go back and understand how the body processes cholesterol normally. So when there's cholesterol in our blood, the body gets rid of it by putting little vacuums on the surface of cells that uh, suck up the cholesterol into our cells and get it out of the blood vessels so it can't cause those nodules that can lead to a heart attack. PCSK9 actually reduces the number of these vacuums on the surface of our cells. And the idea is that if we could delete PCSK9, that would prevent it from reducing the number of these vacuums. and leave more vacuums in the surface of the cells, which would decrease the amount of cholesterol in our blood.
1: How did we even come to know about this role of PCSK9? What sort of studies were done previously that led us to this conclusion that having more PCSK9 reduces these vacuums and therefore leads to more cholesterol in our blood?
0: That's a great and really critical question because it's Easy to imagine that this could be a nice gene to delete, but maybe it does all sorts of other important things in the body and deleting it might cause unintended side effects. But actually in this case, we're really confident it's safe to delete it. And not because we did an experiment in the lab, but actually because of a natural experiment through my favorite field, human genetics. So over the years, there've been studies showing that there are people who have both copies of PCSK9 naturally deleted in their bodies. Just the copies that they inherited, they just happen to inherit two broken copies. And it turns out that these people have very low cholesterol, as we would expect, but also that they're otherwise healthy. There's a great description of one of these people in an article from 2006 quote it. Uh, It says, quote, uh, this person was an apparently healthy, fertile, college-educated woman with normal liver and kidney function tests who works as an aerobics instructor.
1: Something about describing anyone as fertile is a little cringy to me. Yeah,
0: super cringy.
1: But that's just 2006 (laughs) for you, I guess.
0: And I think this is a great example of how natural human genetic variation can help to identify safe and effective drug targets, and there have been a number of studies in general showing that drug targets with human genetic evidence behind them are more likely to succeed in clinical trials.
1: In this paper, how exactly did they approach trying to delete PCSK9 and reduce
0: cholesterol? So their first decision was which model system to use and they decided to try to delete the gene in monkeys. You might be wondering why monkeys? Well, it's probably because monkeys are evolutionarily closer to humans. They were probably thinking that if they could show that it works in monkeys, then it would be more likely to succeed when they got to humans.
1: So you're, you're telling me that there's a better model organism for human disease than mice? <laughs> it's the first time hearing of it.
0: They decided on monkeys, and then they just simply administered in the blood the CRISPR gene editing system through these little nanoparticles, as well as a little guide molecule to tell it to go after PCSK9. And simply as that, and then waited to see what would happen to cholesterol levels down the road. So,
1: conceptually, this is really cool, but you know, we're all about results. So, what exactly did they find?
0: Well, they found exactly what they hoped to see that they achieved nearly complete deletion of PCSK9 in the liver, which is where it's important for cholesterol handling, and about 60% drop in of cholesterol levels and while they haven't had these monkeys with the edited PCSK9 for years and years to show that it lasts that long in the paper they report evidence out to about three months and they show that it has remained durable over that time
1: again the really cool thing here is that they did one single injection and they were able to achieve this none of that you know taking a drug every single day. This is all from one single injection.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah. Super exciting.
1: So one of the biggest concerns with CRISPR therapy is the fact that you can have off-target effects, which means that it can accidentally go and change other genes that that you didn't intend for it to. And this can lead to a whole host of problems.
0: So they looked really closely for these off-target effects and they actually didn't really find much in terms of off-target effects. They um, did a number of experiments, but um, it seemed like the CRISPR system was pretty specific for the gene they were trying to go after.
1: That's really great then, like essentially you get all the benefits and no side effects at all.
0: Yeah, and of course they were trying to go after PCSK9 in the liver as opposed to it in other tissues, but the nice thing about having The studies showing that there are healthy aerobics instructors out there with no PCSK9 anywhere in their body means that even if it deleted, you know, PCSK9 and uh, muscle cell or somewhere else that it would probably be okay.
1: I can almost imagine myself just like sitting on a beach shoving cheese balls into my face and not suffering any of the consequences. So exciting.
0: That's the amazing future that we're headed for. Pinnacle of medicine, just to let Derek uh, go in on some milkshakes on uh, Cancun.
1: One of the big controversies I've heard about gene editing is that you can actually pass down these changes to your DNA between generations. So you can pass them down to their children, and those children will pass it down to their children. Is that possible here? Would that happen?
0: The issue here is whether we're editing cells that are called germline cells, these are sperm or egg, or somatic cells, which is all other cells, so like our liver cells or our cells in our heart. And editing germline cells means that the changes will be passed down forever from generation to generation. And understandably, this is really ethically and socially fraught and there is no consensus about what the scientific community will do about this forever but at least for now the standard for the most part is that this is not acceptable and um, just because we can't understand all of the consequences of doing a change like that indefinitely so here it is somatic editing which means we're editing cells that won't be passed down. So in theory, if one person got this gene editing that would protect them during their lifetime, but then their kids, if they happen to be at high risk as well, would have to get the treatment again.
1: And I think they did specifically check the reproductive organs of these um, monkeys within the study, and they saw that the CRISPR technology did not affect any of the cells uh, within those reproductive organs. So again, assuring us that Um, these sorts of changes would not be passed down generation to generation, that they're really just within an individual.
0: That's right. Yeah, that was a really important thing for them to check.
1: So it feels like CRISPR and other types of gene therapy are becoming more and more common to treat disease.
0: Yeah, so this definitely fits into what we're seeing as a new era for genomic medicine where we can not only identify genetic causes of disease, but in many cases we can potentially intervene. And I think that there's an important distinction to be drawn between gene editing to correct disease and gene editing to prevent disease. So I think this paper is an important early example of how we can use gene editing in a preventative way.
1: If you were a betting man, or maybe you are a betting man, I don't know what you do on the weekends. (laughs) Um, How close do you think we are to getting this into the clinic?
0: We might actually be closer than you think. I mean, the company's heading towards clinical development in the early stages next year. Of course, there are a number of hurdles. This was a study done in monkeys, not in humans, and we had data on a number of months, but we'd like to see the low cholesterol continue for years to show that this is a a treatment that lasts indefinitely. But all of that said, I mean, the signs right now, I think look pretty good.
1: In the evolution of drug development or therapeutic development, monkeys is, is pretty close to human. So it's conceivable that we'll see this in clinical trial relatively soon.
0: Of course, there's the giant social <laughs> implications of having a drug to edit our genes. And that's something that all of us will be coming to terms with soon. But there are so many examples coming out now of ways that we can use gene editing to, to treat disease. And I think over the coming years, um, it'll become more socially and medically accepted and, and even normal.
1: Sure, definitely. So I think another important aspect about therapy development is who gets the drug first. So you know, say we're, we're five years from now and this is, you know, a pretty limited but approved therapy, who gets the drug first?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the first step and what the company is saying that it will target first it are, are people who are at high risk of heart disease due to their genetics. So that's the first target, the, the people who we know because of one change in their genome are at high risk. But down the road, I think this will be offered to more people who don't have one genetic cause, but maybe a number of small changes across their genome that add up to um, give them a high level of risk. And when you look across the population, this is actually a pretty large number of people. So I think um, down the road, this could be offered to more individuals.
1: I remember first learning about these people who have increased PCSK9. So these people have very, very high cholesterol in their blood. And there's specifically, I have in mind, a a slide from a lecture where they show the blood, when you spin it down, it separates the, the cholesterol and all the fat from the rest of the blood. And most people have like maybe a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of cholesterol that's barely visible. But these people, like half the tube was essentially cholesterol. And these people are really, really prone to heart attacks and other sorts of heart disease. So definitely, I think this sort of technology would be given to them first. But like Dan said, over time, it might be given to more people who just generally have a higher risk for heart disease and other types of cardiovascular disease.
0: What do you think, Derek? Is this something you think you'll be prescribing to uh, patients in the future or you'd feel comfortable taking yourself?
1: Well, you know, I think that really depends. Like a lot of things in medicine, you know, there's no reason to give an intervention when there's no real need for it, even if it's something we perceive to be beneficial, right? I actually just recently had my blood work done and slight humble brag, my (laughs) cholesterol levels were very, very good. So I don't really see any need for me to have to take this, right? Like I don't have heart disease. I don't have. cholesterol or anything that could indicate that i'm at high risk of having something like a heart attack so you know i don't think i would currently be willing to do this but you know who knows 20 30 years down the road things change um you know your metabolism changes as you age you're you're exposed to a bunch of different environmental factors and maybe down the road i will develop high cholesterol and then this is something i would definitely consider prescribing for I'm taking myself or prescribing to a patient who is similarly at high risk. What about you?
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think that it'll be really interesting to see how gene editing and especially preventative gene editing um, develops over time because, you know, right now we give everyone vaccines for all sorts of um, infectious disease that they may or may not encounter over their lifetime. But we've agreed that this is a good preventative social measure and you know if gene editing for pcsk9 or something equivalent uh, turns out to be safe why not just give it to everybody to dramatically reduce the risk of heart disease across the population and i think that you know it gets very close into sci-fi realms of making superhumans who are resistant to heart disease no matter what their diet or um, lifestyle is so maybe we'll decide that it's a good idea socially and we'll all just be hanging out on the beach drinking milkshakes and not worrying about the implications for our heart.
1: That's true. So really the end goal for everyone should be sitting on a beach shoving cheese balls and drinking milkshakes with no consequences.
0: Sounds ideal.